This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Inside Washington's Museum of the Bible, a single volume that is like no other, the so-called Slave Bible, remarkable not for what's in it, but for what's not. So about 90% of the Old Testament's been removed and about 50% of the New Testament's been removed. Uh, to put it another way, a normal King James Version has 1,189 chapters in it. Uh, the Slave Bible has only 232. Missing are chapters and verses that might have encouraged uprisings. Book of Exodus, redacted. No story of Moses demanding Pharaoh, let my people go. Gone is Galatians, and the verse, There is neither bond nor free, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And no Jeremiah, woe unto him that useth his neighbor's service without wages. What they've left in are verses such as Ephesians 6.5, which is the famous verse, Slaves be obedient to your master. Looking at this Bible, it's hard to tell that anything's been taken out of it. That's correct. I mean, it looks like a normal book. For many enslaved Africans, this would have been the first time they were exposed to the Bible. A Bible selectively edited to instill obedience, using religion to underpin the horror of slavery. When people encounter this exhibit, what lasting impression do you want them to leave with? Well, we want to pass the message on that may this never happen again. Uh, the Bible itself is a, is a whole book. It's not one that you get to carve up and use this piece or that piece. The slave Bible designed to repress rebellion, but it didn't work. Enslaved people in the Caribbean constantly fought against slavery until emancipation. I think it's very relevant to understand our history, not just American history, but our African-American history, our roots and how we got to this point. A dark chapter in the history of the good book. Jeff Bennett, NBC News, Washington. The slave Bible, when you think about it, one could wonder whether or not the Bible that we actually read every day is still chock full of some of these same ideology. And Laurie Favors, Afro State of Mind, and I had this conversation. Up next is that conversation. And I would love to hear your feedback. Follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Use the hashtag podcast. Is the Christianity that you're following the Christianity of Jesus Christ? And that's a question all of us, those of us who follow Christ, must answer for ourselves. But we can't just blindly be led by the doctrine that has been put into our psyche. We have to examine it. We have to study. We have to have this discourse around this topic. Up next, you'll hear some of that, but this is just the beginning. I hope you enjoy. Stay tuned. Yeah. So we had a conversation during the break yeah. um, and during the show mm -hmm. about religion, and I've been itching to do this, so I've been kind of getting the soul right. If yeah, you listen to my podcast, yeah. yep. I've had a number of different podcasts mm -hmm. around religion, including one with Laurie. Mm -hmm. Just kind of having conversations about how people came to God, yeah. you know. And what is interesting to me is the is how easily wrapped up we can be in letter of the law. Yeah. Yeah. And quoting scripture. Right. Which is which is speaks to the legacy of slavery. And the reason it does because and and it's interesting. One of the I wrote a thesis when I was in undergrad um, on the role of religion, race and religion, particularly American Christianity. Because you were African studies. Yes, major. that was my area of focus. Um, and one of the things that that always kind of drove me to this was that there was a rigidity with the way in which slave owners did everything. They were systematic, and not necessarily. I know people say the Willie Lynch letter. Well, there was a it didn't really exist. okay. Call it the myth of Willie Lynch, whatever it was. It speaks to the rigidity and the method methodological 
Methodic. I think that works. Yeah. Methodical? Methodical that's approach. Even, that's mm-hmm. easy. There, yeah. There's another framing of it I'm right. looking for, but methodical approach that they took to enforcing slavery so that at every moment they were intentional with what enslaved people were being exposed to, with the information that they were learning and how they were being forced to absorb it. And so one of the things I just, because that rigidity is sort of a part of who we are and because the point of successfully navigating slavery was to die and enter into the pearly gates and be washed whiter than snow. So that that Those underpinning. Those literal words I've heard before. Yes. So we have the song, Wash Whiter Than Snow. There is a racialized element to the fact that being part of the enslaved race meant that you were cursed. This is going back to the curse of Ham, right? Where black people were turned black because of this curse that happens early in the Old Testament. And this is an interpretation because prior to white people deciding that they needed racialized slavery in order to have a free labor force, that, that was not the interpretation. But this was the interpretation that they globbed onto. And so... Because being black was the curse and being enslaved was the way that curse was worked out, when you died, if you were a good slave, because slaves be obedient to your masters, then when you get to heaven, you have a chance to be washed whiter than snow. So your salvation wasn't supposed to be here on earth. So suffering and enduring suffering and, you know, weeping may come for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The ability to endure suffering white, like a good enslaved person was really tied to your ability to access white Jesus in the afterlife. So for me, it's very important to ask, what is God's name if you can't see, can't hear and can't speak? Like, what do you call God? How do you connect with God if you have no ability? Because there are people in this world who do not have the ability to speak, see, hear. They Helen have Keller. The, Helen Keller. What is God's name and how do you connect with God when you don't have the ability to be indoctrinated by someone else's prepackaged version of God? And that, to me, speaks to the heart of spiritual connection. I'm more interested in that than I am in some person's political agenda and their ability to out-organize me and create a belief system that I have to adhere to in order to have my life be preserved in this space. But our every waking moment is informed by this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even the holidays we celebrate. That's right. Are we really addressing this? Yeah, we really are. Um, So like the Council of Nicaea is this idea that there were people who, again, several hundred years after Jesus, this is when Constantine is coming into power. And by this point, you have a whole bunch of little Jesuses, like people who like really believed in Jesus running around. And remember, Jesus was a part of an occupied group, right? The Jews were like essentially being held hostage by the Romans at this time. This was not a good time for them. So when they talked about the Messiah, it wasn't a Messiah necessarily who was coming for salvation. The salvation they were talking about was like, we under occupation. (laughs) Like we are basically enslaved in our own space, right? So the Messiah was the idea was being delivered out of that type of uh, moment. The Council of Nicaea is the Romans really recognizing they got to get a handle on this religion thing. You can't have a whole bunch of people running around talking about I'm gonna lay hands and people be healed. And like you can't have stories like Paul and Cyrus went to jail and praise God and then the jail broke. You can't have people believing all that because it just it causes disruption in a space where you're trying to occupy. So the Council of Nicaea. Not just that, control. Exactly. Because that was the reason why when given the opportunity to take Jesus down off the cross well how, why did he even you know end up on the cross right, right? what right. was the what was the crime right, right. it was heresy basically yeah. you know political heresy yeah. it was like you were coming against you were challenging the authority oh you're the king right. of jews there's only one king right there's only one it one, ain't you right, boo right, right right so that right there was really about control and yeah. the way they control was from the inside that's right so they said oh, okay we can't this moving train mm-hmm. is going too fast yeah we can't kill all of them right because that's one method right let's kill all of them right can't do that uh let's infiltrate yeah 
much the way it was done with the Black Panther Party, Boom. the Nation of Islam. That's right. We can go down the list. That's okay. right. Okay. Right. And, and some of the things that this Council of Nicaea, which is one of the first councils of the church, is uh, one of the things that they talked about was whether or not Jesus was divine, right? Because up until that point, everybody, Christ was like a, a title. It wasn't Jesus Christ. His name went on the birth certificate, like, I am Jesus the Christ or I am of Joseph, right. right? Like Christ was a title of someone who was really had dedicated themselves, had gone to spaces like the Egyptian mystery schools, had spent time learning. And a lot of people actually say that in the period of time between Jesus is 12 and comes back again at 33 in the Bible, that's what he was doing, was studying these, these mysteries and studying how to channel spiritual energy in a different way. But in the Council of Nicaea, one of the votes that they take is whether or not Jesus is divine. Because if Jesus is human, human that means all of us could do what Jesus did and you can't have a bunch of people running around doing things like rendering under Caesar what's Caesar's and rendering under God what is God and then God's getting a whole lot more than see you can't do that so Jesus becomes divine which means that so, but let's pause though yeah. because even in those words Jesus mm-hmm. says you can do far so they kept it the the sanctity- sanctity- there it is go ahead go ahead go ahead go, 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 go. no you had it Jesus said you can do far greater things than I have that's done right. so they kept the facts in there that's right if you choose to read it that is correct and then turned around and made him a god which meant uh, don't believe what you read right Here's what you need to know. Right. So you can see when Jesus says greater things than this, you shall also do. You could see that as aspirational as opposed to a mandate. Nah, boo, get in your prayer closet, connect with your spiritual source and go lay hands and heal people. That I did it. You should be able to do it, too. Like that was sort of the whole point. So when we're talking about, you know, the, the stories of Jesus that existed prior to Jesus. So the virgin birth, the death, burial and resurrection. These are all stories that we see on pyramids. Thousands of years before Jesus hits the scene, Asar, Aset, and Heru, jo- Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. He is So all of those stories, when we talk about the children of Israel passing through Egypt and carrying those stories with them, we see how cultural experiences can be fused into a book that becomes authoritarian for an entire group of people. And the compilations and the writings of that book may never have had that intention when they were first put to pen and paper. One of the things I always like to point people to is the Coptic Church, right? That's one of the oldest formulations of the teachings of Christ as we understand it. The first Christians. The first Christians were African, and the Coptic Christians are in Africa. Uh, and so it's important to know that like things change. And and belief systems can be infiltrated. And you see there's there's this book actually by um, Anthony Browder, um, uh, Nile Valley Civilization, I believe. I can't remember the name, but I'm going to Google it and find it. But he has a comparison that looks at all of the um, stories, some of the, all the stories that we know about Jesus and compares them to the stories that are written in pyramids and almost exactly word for word um, being gone from 12 to this, you know, decades later coming back, um, death, burial and resurrection at early age being found teaching with with, or interacting with elders within the religion as opposed to being where they were supposed to be. I mean, almost exactly. Now, when I was a super Christian, hearing something like this and having these conversations, taking my first religious studies course in college, scared the hell out of me. Because the thing about American and Western Christianity is if you're wrong, you go to hell. Like, and that's kind of like a big risk. Like that, that's kind of like, mm, no, it, I might I'd believe this be other safe. stuff. I'll, I'll be, be safe. safe I'm gonna keep my mouth sorry. closed, and I'm gonna pray every day. I'm gonna <laughs> right. follow this letter to the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, what what I had to come to a space of understanding was that if it's true, it's true. If the principles are true, 
Not these exact words, because these words in English were translated from another language, which is translated from another language and another. And when you study linguistics and you study the ability to translate, some concepts do not translate. Like the word well, virgin is not the same in the Greek and Aramaic as we understand virgin, meaning not having... love is not the same. Even not the same. So what's also crazy is you were talking as, as Mr. Um, Silbiger, you were talking about the years and years and hundreds of years. I've played the game of telephone. Yeah. And it didn't yeah. take hundreds of years. Nope. By the time it got around the room and less than 30 minutes the right. story changed that's right imagine hundreds of years that's and right. then i have to recall what i have heard what i thought i heard somebody right. say fill in the blank chosen people no, right. like, <laughs> carry the one right let me fill in here right uh that couldn't happen yeah exactly i'm not here to undermine anybody's faith Mm-mm. matter of fact i'm here to strengthen your faith mm-hmm. because true faith can't be really strong unless it's tested right and i think people need to it says in the bible fear and trembling you know approach this with fear and trembling yeah but approach it and let's not just start you know or or continue down this journey of putting other people in bondage based on something we've read somewhere in a book that's right that could or could not be true right could be based on something african right and we're operating in a european eurocentric model of it that and that european eurocentric model which was intentional about using that book to structure a system that we had no choice but to embrace to ensure our demise while at the same time denigrating the religious systems that we brought with us putting them in a space of that's pagan it's of the devil it's black it's from the dark black continent, magic it's yeah. primitive it's it's and so you can't take those things out of the analysis. We have to be able to say, if this is the religion that we are going to embrace as a people, what has been the benefit to us as a people? Is Christianity as practiced by the large body of black people? Is it a threat to white supremacy? You know what bugs me out? Christianity is spreading like wildfire in Africa. It sure is. To the detriment of people who are marginalized. That's right. Folks are being murdered and killed for not following the letter of the law. The Mm -hmm. Bible that has been indoctrinated into a continent that has been colonized and it's starting all the F over again. So so for me, Christianity is almost like a credit card to salvation, the way we practice it now. Like I did a sin, oh, Lord forgive me, all my sins are forgiven. Hallelujah, Jesus. Which is why Thomas Jefferson could enslave his own children and rape black girls from the time he was able to do whatever until the time he died and still believe that his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because being evil and doing all those things is okay because I've got my ching credit card for salvation. My name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. There ain't nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do as a white person that will ever take me from being the privileged eye of God and having access to the throne of grace. Because I also control laws. That's right. So if I get to write the book, mm-hmm. I get to determine what's in that book, mm-hmm. and then I get to write the laws that absolve me from any criminal That's right. responsibility for the things that I do because it's not a sin. That's right. If it's not a law, and these laws are based on these book Bible verses. That's it. Oh my God. I have no guilt. Because spiritually, I'm absolved. I feel fine. Slaves be obedient to your masters. I'm a master. You're a slave. Book of Ham, you know, curse of Ham said it. Be a slave. I have no criminal liability. So there's no reason for me to feel bad. Everything I have structured in this society is designed to help me to feel better about this. And my religious practices are definitely at the top of that list. 